0: Chapter 7, we are in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is beginning of October. Um, Jesus has come up to Jerusalem, though he told his family he wasn't coming when they wanted to go, because they're saying to him, go on up, you know, everybody's going to be there. Do your miracles there so they know who you are. Show yourself off, what kind of Messiah Sticks in the backwoods here in uh, Galilee. going up there and manifest. And he said, no, you, you go up. I'm not going to come up right now. And we've traveled through verse 13. Verse 14 is where we are today, when Jesus finally steps into the temple precincts. And it says, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh the glory of him that sent him, the same is true. No unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet... None of you keep the law. Why are you going about to kill me? And then the people answered and said, You must have a demon. Who's going about to kill you? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man, a baby. If a man on the Sabbath day received circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them from Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he's speaking boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Messiah, the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, the Messiah, no man knoweth whence he is. Then Jesus cried in the midst of the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him... When, uh, and they said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than that which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while am I with you. Then I go unto him that sent me. You shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, whither will he go that we can't find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of seeing is this? That he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, there you cannot Come And of course, that's going to lead us, if the Lord tarries next week, verse 37, when he breaks out into the open, probably um, next to the Sermon on the Mount, the crucifixion itself, one of the most pronounced manifestations of who he is uh, in the religious life of Jerusalem. Here, he goes up. In the middle of the feast, what we go through, we're going to see there's the pilgrims respond one way. The, the people who live in Jerusalem respond another way. The Pharisees and priests, they respond another way. The officers that are sent to get them, they respond another way. And when he speaks to them all, he finally makes a, a challenge to them. You know, seek me now. The Bible says seek him while he may be found. Because I'm only with you shortly, and I believe his heart is broken, as he says, that. and I'm going to go to the Father. He says, and where I go, you can't find me. And where I am, he says, you're not able to come. And they say, what is he talking about? But there's incredible sobriety. And really, finality in touch. This is the last, this is the last stroke. This is the end. <coughs> so he comes up to the feast of tabernacles. And he's in the temple now, one of the three mandatory feasts of the year. He told his brethren, you go up, I'm not coming yet. And it says he came up privately. He didn't want to make a big stir. Different parts of the community were looking for him, expecting him to be there. And at v- verse 14, it says, in the midst of the feast. The, the feast was eight days. He somewhere in that week. He comes up and he went up into the temple, the harion, the temple precincts, not the temple building itself. Court of Israel, court of women, court of the Gentiles, somewhere in there where the crowds are gathered. He went up into the temple and he taught. So no doubt, there's somewhere in the precincts where he goes, tradition in this day was the teacher sat and the congregation stood. We should try that one Sunday. Uh, So he went up and he found some place in the temple precincts, sat down no doubt cross-legged, and people started to gather around and he began to teach them. And no doubt, maybe his family was there quickly. No doubt John is there because he writes this as an eyewitness. Um, the people start to gather around him as he is teaching there somewhere in the temple precincts. And it says, and the Jews, which John normally uses of the religious leaders, this may be a bigger word here because it's the mandatory feast. The Jews marveled, saying, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? They marveled, they're astonished. Um, And In imperfect tense, they're sitting there continually astonished. They became astonished, they remained astonished. They never heard anybody teach with this authority before, and they said, how can he do this? He didn't graduate from our seminary, he didn't go to our rabbinic schools, how can he do this? Now, it's interesting, Graham Scroggie, who I love to read, says, at this point, to think that a preacher has no standing unless he has the stamp of a university or college is pure intellectual snobbery. Where did Bunyan train, or Spurgeon, or Moody? What degrees had they? I know a good degree which no college in his power can give. Don't misunderstand. The more knowledge a man can acquire, the better. The intellectual house of every preacher should be well furnished. But what's the good of that midwinter when there's no fire in the grate? Give me a room with one chair and a good fire rather than living in luxury when the temperature is at the freezing point. The supreme need of our hour is not for academicians, but apostles. Not for pundits, but prophets not for scholars, but saints, not for experts, but for evangelists. The former will always have their work to do, and if they can also be the latter, they will be nigh invincible. But if a choice has to be made in the of, in, interest of the gospel, it's an easy choice to make. Here they're looking at Jesus saying, where'd this guy train? He, you know, doesn't he have any authority, he didn't go to our schools. Who does he think he is? Look, they're going to say this about the apostles in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says the apostles have everybody staggered as they're speaking. And it says the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders took note of them that these were unlearned and ignorant men, but that they had been wrong. They had been with Jesus. They still were with Jesus. They noted these are unlearned and ignorant. These are fishermen. These are Galileans. They're unlearned. They haven't gone to our rabbinic schools. They're ignorant. They are those who have been with Jesus. They took note of that. Jesus often would say, you have heard it had been said of them of old, but I say unto you. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people are astonished because he taught them not as the scribes and Pharisees taught, but as one that had authority. He would say, but I say unto you. So here they're amazed at him as he's sitting there teaching. The Babylonian Talmud, one of the ancient writings of Israel, said, If one has learned scripture, but not from the rabbinic scholars... He is a bore, a Samaritan, a magician, and a deceiver. Isn't it interesting? That, so that's the the religious s- school and religious system of the day had hardening of the categories. You know, people die from that. And, uh, and here is the word of God. John starts by saying the word was made flesh. Here is the word of God sitting in their midst. They're saying... How can this guy do this? He didn't he got he's got no credentials hanging on the wall in his office. Who does he think he is? And people will say that about you. Your friends, your relatives, somebody maybe that went to seminary that you have to correct for some reason. Now, who are these country bumpkins? Who are these guys that sit up that cult in the mall there and they, you know in the meter factory? Who do they think they are telling me? You know Jesus. You know his word. You have his Holy Spirit. I don't know what future we have in America, but America has no future without you. And you can't minimize your role at such a time as this. God has chosen us to be here now in the days that we're living in. And understand, even if you were Jesus they wouldn't recognize you. If you were Jesus, they would say, who do you think you are telling us about Jesus? So you're in good company if you get static from your family. They say, how's this guy teaching us? They're astonished because it was authority. How's this man know letters, Gamara, having never learned? And Jesus answered them and said, my teaching, my doctrine, is not mine own, but it is his that sent me, because all of these guys, he'll he'll say it here, if any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, whether it be of man. Because anybody who speaks of himself seeks his own. But he that seeketh the glory of the one that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Because it was common in that day to say, well, Rabbi Hillel says this, or Rabbi Shammai says this, or Rabbi Akaba says this. And they quoted the rabbis as their authorities. And Jesus kept saying, but I say unto you. And they're saying, who does this guy think he is? He says in verse 16, look, my doctrine, my teaching is not mine. But it's not Akabah's or Hillel's or Shemaiah's. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. He's claiming divine divinity in his teaching. Then he says this, if any man, now that includes you. Look around. Lots of any man, any man's here. If any man will do his will, any man and will, both of them are from Thelema. If any man wills to do his will. What, what he's, he, he doesn't say, if any man keeps the law, if any man lives up to the code Moses gave us, if any man, you know, keeps the ordinances and so forth, he's, he's not, that, that would be, you know, for Jesus here to say to the Jews, you don't need me, you've got Moses, you need to keep the law. He's not saying that. He says, if any man wills to do his will, his When it says his will there, it's not just what he wants, it's what he feels as well. It's visceral. It says, for his will, we were created. There's some deeper thing in that. Look, you and I know that. It says, we love him because he first loved us. You can't tell someone that you love Jesus unless you know, know that he loves you. And the enemy wants to keep us convinced that he doesn't love us. It says, in this is manifest the love of God. And it's not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to be the place where his wrath could be satisfied in regards to our sins. That's the love of God manifest. Not because he gives us a new job. Not because he gives us a wife. Not because he gets rid of our wife. Not because he, you know, gives us, helps us pay off our college loans. Not because he heals our cancer. No, no. God, he holds out one thing. If you want to know that I love you, look at the cross. That's my perfect, spotless, only begotten son. Son. That is loved by me more than any father has ever loved a son. And if you want to know my love, he's there. And I've laid on him the iniquity of you all. I've crushed him so that you can live. And Jesus says, he says that here. He says, if any man wills to do, not just talk about, to do his will. If we're saying, Lord, lead me. Lord, I, I, help me understand. I want to walk. He says, if any man wills to do what his will is for us, he, that man, shall know, shall realize of that teaching, out of that teaching, whether it be from, literally, God Or whether I'm just speaking of myself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, says, if anybody, if you step into this and you find in your heart you want to do what he wants you to do, you're going to realize something. That this teaching that he's giving us here, this doctrine, out of it, out of it, out from it, you'll realize, whether it is of God, or I'm just speaking myself, because he that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. In other words, don't blow your own trumpet. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Why go you about to kill me? And the people, notice that, over in 25 it's going to tell us those of Jerusalem. That's a different crowd. Here it says the people, this is talking about the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of pilgrims that have come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. The people answered and said, thou hast not a devil, a demon. Who's going about to kill you? So he says, like this, he's challenging them. He's sitting there. They're all listening. And they're, they're challenging. Where'd you get this? You didn't go to seminary. How do you know this stuff? And he says, Well, he says, because my study didn't come from your seminaries, it came from heaven. If you don't believe that, give your heart to the Father, long to do the will that he has for you, and you'll realize where this teaching is from. And he says, you have Moses and you claim to have Moses. You claim to love the law, but you don't keep the law because you're out to kill me. And of course, Exodus 20, 13, the 10 commandments, it says, thou shalt not kill. Literally, it says, thou shalt do no murder. God would send the children of Israel, their armies into battle. There is a time. When God will do that, and we owe much to uh, veterans and law officers and people that have had to put their lives on the line for the less fortunate, for the weak. But it says, in regards to premeditated manslaughter, thou shalt do no murder. That was a command. and they're planning how they can kill him. He had come up to Jerusalem and he had healed a crippled man who had been crippled for 38 years. And he said, take up your bed and go home. Listen, crippled 38 years. That means when he said, take up your bed, your bed, neuropathways immediately there, muscles immediately there, tendons immediately there. He said, didn't say go to therapy, go to rehab. He said, get up, take your bed and go home. After 38 years of not moving a muscle. And the guy gets up. Now the Pharisees, of course, They don't say, this is wonderful. You're walking around. They said, who told you to carry your bed on the Sabbath? And the guy said, I I, I don't know. I'm only doing it because the guy that healed me said, take up your bed and go home. What was I supposed to say? No, thanks. And then Jesus takes him aside and talks to him. And he realized who it is. And then he tells the religious leaders, it was Jesus that told me to do this. And it says, then they conspired how they might kill him because he told them to do this on the Sabbath. And now that's still rumbling here. You know, you say you obey Moses and keep the law, but at the same time you're seeking to kill me? Now the pilgrims that came up, they're listening and they're thinking, this guy's either a genius Or there's some other spirit talking through him. They they look around and say, nobody's trying to kill you. We we were, listen, we were mesmerized. Now this starts coming out of your mouth. This This guy has a demon. He's got, there's another spirit here at work. Who's going about to kill you? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, the healing of the crippled man. And you all marvel. Here's the logic. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision. Look, not because it is of Moses, but it was of the fathers. Um, Genesis 17 verses 14 to 19, God gives circumcision to Abraham as a token of the covenant that he's making. Circumcision wasn't unknown, there were Egyptians that circumcised other ancient cultures. But he said, this is something that you do to every male. Bless you. (laughs) You Do this to every male on the eighth day. Now, by the way, doctors have learned that it's on the eighth day that vitamin K starts to give your system the ability to coagulate blood you circumcise the baby two days earlier, they'll bleed out. So on the eighth day, this circumcision was to take place. But here was the problem. Moses commanded they had to keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. That you should do no work on the Sabbath. Remember there was a man who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. He was put to death. So if you got Moses saying, you can't do any work on the Sabbath, And then you got Moses saying, every baby needs to be circumcised on the eighth day. What if if the baby's born on the Sabbath, and the eighth day is is eight days later on the next Sabbath? And the law is contradicting itself. What, What do you do then on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, well, to keep the law You break the law there, or or the law supersedes the law of Sabbath. Even the ancient rabbi said, so important is circumcision that if it fell on the Sabbath, they were to exercise their right to circumcise on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is bringing them to that, facing this contradiction, seeming contradiction from Moses. He says, and if a man, verse 23, on the Sabbath day, received circumcision, and the reason that the law of Moses should not be broken, Deuteronomy said that on the eighth day, and you are angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? He says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. He says, are you kidding me? They're going about to kill me because I healed a man on the Sabbath? You mean you're allowed to cut flesh away on the Sabbath, but I'm not allowed to heal flesh on the Sabbath. You're allowed to cut it away and cause pain. I'm not allowed to take pain away and bring healing on the Sabbath. He's he's saying, think of what you're saying. He says, in light of that, and there's two present imperatives here in verse 25. Then said, I'm sorry, verse 24. He says, judge not, present imperative, you must not. You must continue to not judge. You've got to get this in now and you need to continue not judging things according to just simple appearance. But you must continue to judge things. With righteous judgment. Not just what you see. Not just appearance. Not just the law. What's right? You can know that in your heart. What's the right thing to do here? He said if you seek to do. If you want to do the will of the one who sent you. You'll know if it's the truth. He says here. Do you want to just make judgments according to appearance? You have to stop that. Stop that for good. And you need to make judgments. And continue to make judgments. He says in regards to what's righteous, the way you treat your fellow man. Now we come to the next crowd here. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, isn't it interesting, is not this he whom they seek to kill? They said over in verse 20, these are the people, the pilgrims answered and said, you have a demon, nobody wants to kill you. The people in Jerusalem, in verse 25, who are friends with the priests, friends with the Levites, many of them friends with the Sanhedrin, they've kind of gotten in here, so they know a little more. Then said, some of them in Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, how how can it be? He's speaking boldly. And they say nothing unto him. Look, which is a rabbinic... um, Statute that if somebody says something religious and none of the teachers of the law stop him, that is a tacit approval of what he's saying. So they're saying, "This is the guy that they can't, this is the guy they want to kill." He's standing in the middle of the multitudes. He's speaking boldly. And they don't do anything to stop him. They they must be approving, he says. Do the rulers know indeed that he is the very Messiah? Is that why they're letting this go on? He says, but we, these inhabitants of Jerusalem, we know this man whence he is. We realize where he's from. You know, Joseph of Arimathea. You don't have to wonder where he was from. Jesus of Nazareth. You don't have to worry where he was. You don't have to figure that out for yourself. He says, we know this man whence he is. But when Christ, when the Messiah comes, no man knows whence he is. No man knows where he's coming from. Now, by the way, they're wrong there, too. Uh, the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 come to Jerusalem. And they ask, where is the king of the Jews? We come to worship him. Now Herod's freaked out when he hears that. So he collects the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, where is this king of Israel to be born? And they look in the scripture and they says, Thou Bethlehem, though thou be small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth him whose goings forth have been of everlasting. They say the Messiah is to come from Bethlehem. So then... It says, they go from there, the star they were following made a left. They followed it to Bethlehem, and they found the child, not the babe, in a house, not in a manger. This is a year or so after he's born. In fact, because of that timeline, Herod sends his soldiers to Bethlehem, where the Messiah was to be born, and kills all the male children from two years old and younger. So even that, they've got that wrong. We know where this guy's from. This is Jesus of Nazareth. No, he was Jesus of Bethlehem. But we know where he's from. And and when Christ comes, the Messiah, no man knows where he's from. Wrong. And then cry. Now, Jesus, now at this point in time, he's going to cry again over on the great day of the feast, verse 37. Jesus, and he must stand at this point in time, and he cries out loud in the temple as he taught, saying... Now, you got to imagine, religious leaders are there. The pilgrims are there. The people from Jerusalem are there. There's a lot of agita there. People are upset. What is he doing? He must be demon-possessed. We know where he's from. You know, when Messiah comes, we're not going to know where he's from. And Jesus stands up and yells out loud, you both know me and you know where I'm from. (laughs) Everybody can hear the whole place go dead silent, you know. And he said, I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. And the Sanhedrin must have steam blowing out of their ears at this point in time. You don't even know Yahweh. You don't even know the God of Moses. You don't even know. You say you keep the law and you're seeking to kill me. You don't even know. I know where I'm from. You know where I'm from. It's, it's you know, it's heating your heart. I haven't come of myself. There's someone who sent me, and he's true, but you don't know him. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Now, the the phrase there is very interesting. I there is emphatic. He says, I, me, for myself. There's an emphasis when he says it to the crowd. Me, I'm the one. Nobody else, I'm the one. I know him. You don't know him, but me, I, I know him, for I am from it's para. Very interesting. The Holy Spirit is the paracletus, the one who comes alongside. What Jesus says here is me. As for myself, I know him. Reason for I am from alongside of him. And he has sent me. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. John tells us as he starts the gospel. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He says, I know him. Me, I'm the one. I know him. You don't know him. I know him. Because I am from, I've come of his presence. I've come from alongside of him. He sent me. Then, that's they said, that's all I can stands it can't stand is more. <laughs> then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him. Look, because his hour was not yet come. You know, and we're going to hear this several times. His hour was the time of his crucifixion. When he speaks of his time, those are larger spans of time. But whenever he speaks of his hour, he's talking about his crucifixion. Says his hour was not yet come. They couldn't. God's sovereignty was involved. There was a specific time when he's going to be crucified on the Passover, and nobody's going to mess with that. Nobody's going to change that. It's like the Antichrist. He can't change his number from 666 to 948. <laughs> this can't be changed either. He said, he said they're not, you know, they couldn't take hold of him because his hour was not yet come. Besides that, he had 12 legions, 72,000 angels guarding him at the same time. His hour was not yet come. It wasn't up to the crowd. It wasn't up to the religious leaders. It wasn't up to soldiers. It was up to heaven. That's who he's representing as he teaches. My hour has not yet come. And many of the people believed on him then and said, well, when the Messiah comes, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? You know, early Nicodemus came to him at night in Jerusalem. When Jesus had been in the temple and he said, We know, Master, we know you're sent from God. No man can do the signs that you're doing unless he comes from God. So his miracle working power had been manifest in Jerusalem, in the temple courts. The Jews knew in the law, Moses said, One is coming after me of my kind. Another one like me is going to come. Moses, you know, they say to Jesus at one point, hey, Moses gave us the bread for heaven, gave us manna. Why don't you show us a sign too? His, you know, his rod turning into a serpent, the Nile turning into the blood. They said, well, when Messiah comes, is he going to do more miracles? This is, and it says they believe. It doesn't say they're converted. The idea is at this time, this group of people, we'll probably see many of them in heaven, have come to conclusion that this this must be the Messiah. This must be him. And the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And look, and the Pharisees and the chief priests, plural, Caiaphas was the officiating high priest, Annas was His father-in-law, the high priest that many of the religious Jews recognize because he's of the line of Aaron. The Romans had taken the right away from the Jews to appoint the next high priest because they would put somebody in who would be in cooperation with them. Then, of course, there's the priestly family, the high priest, so it's plural here. It says here that the Pharisees and the chief priests then they send officers to take him. So. It's a very interesting picture, because normally the the chief priests, the priestly families, were Sadducees at this point in time, largely. The Pharisees were kind of the guardians of the word. And normally they were constantly at odds with each other. But now, because they have a common enemy, they're deciding to cooperate. So the Pharisees and the chief priests then send officers to get them. Now the word here, officers, it speaks of the temple police, which were Levites, that one of the priestly family specifically was set over, they exercised their authority in cooperation with a Roman approval because the Antonio Fortress was right there attached to the temple precincts. So they send now out into the, the temple area somewhere these officers to take Jesus and to bring him in, to get their hands on him. The officers are going to come back. Um, verse 45 says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why haven't you brought him? And the officer said, Nobody ever talked like this guy before. They got there and they were so stunned they forgot why they went. It says, then Jesus said to them, look at that as plural there, them. Who's the them? You know? He says to them, and what he says is very sobering and very final. Yet a little while I am with you. And I go unto him that sent me. You shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, you are not able to come. It's very interesting, where I am, present tense. Where. Then said the Jews amongst themselves, "Whither will he go that we can't find him? Is he going to go to the dispersed among the Gentiles? There are huge Jewish communities in Antioch, in Rome, in Alexandria, in Egypt. Is he going to go, you know, there were the dispersed that did not come back from Babylon of their own will. Is he going to go amongst the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this? What is he talking about? You shall seek me and not find me. Obviously it means the door of grace will be closed. And where I am there you cannot come. He says this to them who, you know, you figure who's there that he's saying this to? Certainly, as he's speaking, uh, John the Apostle's there because he's writing as an eyewitness. It says the people are there in verse 32. That's, that would be the pilgrims and the people from Jerusalem that are murmuring this going back and forth. The Pharisees are there which probably means Saul of Tarsus, is there. Maybe Gamaliel Gamaliel is there. The chief priests, Ananias, Caiaphas, I mean, Annas, Caiaphas, the chief priests are there. The officers, Levites, they're all there. No doubt his family is there, because he said to them, you go up, I'm going to come up afterwards Sanhedrin. Think of the, the people that are there, and it says, he says unto them, he turns this collection of people, all different roles, some religious and empty, some genuine wondering, some family members. He says this, and it's incredibly final, and because of that is sobering. Yet a little while am I with you. It is Beginning of October, Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. Six months later, he will be on the cross. Passover, end of March, beginning of April, depending on the moon. A little while, I'm with you. I have to believe, as Jesus looked at this crowd, I believe he loved the Pharisees. He loved the priests. I believe he loved the people that said he has a demon. I believe his family was there, his apostles. And I believe his heart was broken as he looked at the faces and said, I'm only going to be with you a little while. We're only going to get to stand here and do this for a few more months. Then he says, that I'm going to my father by way of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And he must realize, you know, as he looks at those faces, how many would never find him. They would seek him too late. You know, if you're here today and don't know Christ as your personal savior, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about church. Do you know Jesus? Because there comes a day like Noah, when the door of the ark is shut. There comes a day that is beyond the last day of grace. When there is a seeking and no finding. And if you don't know him today, I encourage you again, get everything else out of your mind about religion. There were lots of religious people here, there was family here. Get all of that stuff out of your mind. What is he saying? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still saying the same thing today to the multitudes in the world that we live in. A little while, tears in his eyes. I am with you. And I go present tense, I am going, some translated, I I am withdrawing, unto him that sent me. And you shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, you are not able to come. then said the Jews among themselves, what is he talking about? Where is he going to go that we can't find him? Is he going to go unto the dispersed, the, the, the Jews that are still living amongst the Gentiles and teach there in the Gentile world? What manner of saying is this? That he's saying, you shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am there... You cannot come. The writer to the Hebrews would say this. Take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God. Exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. While it is said today... If you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. The scripture warns, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, it has nothing to do with me, it has nothing to do with the person that brought you. It has to do with you and him on the vertical. He says, my teaching is not from the horizontal. I'm not quoting other rabbis. It's from above. And if you will do the will, if you, if you will to do the will of the one who cares about you, you'll realize what this is all about. And the scripture says to you and I, when we don't know them, that we need to make a decision for or against. Right now, the Bible says, is the acceptable day of salvation. You can seek him and find him today. There will come a day when that will be too late. Today, if you want to be saved, I'll have the musicians come. We'll sing the last song. But if you want to know Christ, not Calvary Chapel, you want to know Jesus. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The Bible says the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. God did that. Put the iniquity of all of us upon him. And he paid for our sins with his own life. If you've never come to them, look, I grew up, my dad was Catholic, my mom was Lutheran. I grew up in the church. I did my first communion. You do all that stuff. You know, I didn't know anything about Jesus. I couldn't wait till they told me, we're not going to fight with you anymore. I think it was 17 or 18. You're going to have to go to church. Yes. (laughs) And from there to drugs, from there to insanity, you know, and then to so much emptiness in my life that when Christ revealed himself, I broke down. I wept that he was there all along. And he stepped into my life and into my world. And to music I listened to, to the drugs I took. He wasn't ashamed. He stood in the middle of all that. And he told me that he loved me. And it overwhelmed me and it broke me down. And he's still speaking today. And he doesn't love me more than he loves any of you. So today, hear his voice. Don't harden your heart. We're going to sing this last song. And as we do, if you want to be saved today, get out of your seat and come down. Right in front of everybody. He hung on a cross naked before the world for you. You can walk down here with clothes on. And it's a, it slopes downhill. It's, you, you got it all easy. While we sing this long, last song, if you want to be saved, If you realize I can seek him today and find him, not church, not religion, not the insanity out there on the news, peace. Jesus said you can find rest for your soul. You can find peace in a world with no peace through him. Let's stand together. Let's pray. And if you want to know Jesus today, you want to push aside religion and all this other stuff, but you want to know him. And you're willing to say, oh, I, "I, uncle, I give, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, I'm tired of the whole thing. I don't want to go to bed one more night with myself. Yeah. If this is true, I want a new start, I want a new beginning, I want a fresh start. I want to drop all my baggage here today and walk out a new man, a new <coughs> woman. If that's you, you're willing to turn away from your sin today. As we sing this last song, you come. Your friends will wait for you. In fact, they'll kick you out of the pew or they'll say, Come on, I'll go down with you. And we'll pray with you. We want to give you a Bible, some literature, and be on your way. New life, new beginning. Father, I know you've overheard. Lord, we look to you as we, uh, we pray. And Lord Jesus, just we're looking at the world unraveling and we're wondering how quick you might come, Lord. All of us, Lord, pray for those standing here among us that will be lost forever if they don't seek you now, Lord. Lord, little do we understand the eternal consequences of serving you and presenting your love and your forgiveness, Lord. But you're able to take it, Lord, and touch the hearts of men and women that you love, even, Lord, even if they've been against you, Lord, antagonists. Break them down with your love today, Lord. Draw them into your arms. Let them come forward to pray and make you their personal Savior, Lord. Grant them repentance and a new beginning, Lord. Forgiveness and a new start. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.